Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales, both on and off the felt. Welcome to Poker Stories, a podcast brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. Uh, this is episode number 56, and it features high-stakes poker pro Ellie Alezra. Now, Ellie obviously has an amazing poker resume. In tournaments, he won a World Poker Tour main event at the Mirage Poker Showdown back in 2004 for just over $1 million. He also has three World Series of Poker bracelets, the first coming in the 2007 Stud High Low event, uh, the second in a 2013 Triple Draw event, and the third in a 2015 Stud Tournament. Later in this podcast, you'll actually hear about a seven-figure side bet that Ellie won with one of those bracelets. But of course, it's the cash games that Ellie is known for. Ellie was one of the first regular occupants of Bobby's room, and during the poker boom, he was often sitting in games as big as 4,000, 8,000, where he could win or lose seven figures in a single session, and often did. Ellie didn't grow up playing poker, however. He grew up in Israel, and he went through a lot as a young man fighting for his country in the war. You'll hear uh, some stories from his time in the Golani Brigade, which is basically like Israel's Green Berets. And uh, you also hear about why he moved to Alaska to fish for salmon and hunt whales, of all things. And eventually how he ended up in Las Vegas to run a photo hut. Ellie was honestly perfect for this podcast. He has stories for days, which is why there is now a book out about his life. Uh, it's called Pulling the Trigger, the Autobiography of Poker Pro Ellie Alezra, and you'll hear some of those stories right now. That's enough intro. Here's my conversation with Ellie Alezra. I am here in the Poker Go studio. With Ellie Lezer. Ellie, how are you doing? I'm good. Very good. Thank you, Julio. This has been an interview that's been a long time coming. Uh, we've been talking for a few months, trying to get it organized. But now we have your new books coming out, I think, today. Correct. So this is uh, the, uh, January 3rd. Happy New Year, by the way. Thank you. Happy New Year for you guys. Uh, but yeah, you got a new book out, and I wanted to, to pick your brain and give our listeners a taste of Ellie. Love to. How, how's... how's uh, your life been recently? Uh, I know you had a pretty good summer, right? Yes, I did. I, uh, uh, in the tournament, took second in the 10K Omaha 8 or better, third in the 1500 PLO 8. You know, I know you like to mess around in tournaments from time to time. Yeah, actually, this WSOP was profitable, even though I played the 50. Usually, when you play the 50K, it's very hard to break, have a profit. Right? But uh, yeah. yeah, the second on the 10K paid quite a bit, you know, about 300,000. And then. Uh, I mean, even the third tap it up. So I made the, I think my profit overall in this World Series was approximately quarter million, which is, after everything, yeah. is like huge in the yeah, World Series. Yeah, not too shabby. Poker, yeah. Uh, I want to get back to the beginning, talk about how you even got into poker, how you found the <clears> game, because you had a life. You know, you weren't one of these online kids who discovered it in college, in online poker, and then just went right into poker. You know, you had a career before poker. That's right, yeah. Uh, November 24th, 1960, Jerusalem, right? Yes, sir. I was born in Jerusalem. It's uh, like 
10 minutes away from Bethlehem where mm-hmm. Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. Real and royalty. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, regular childhood, you know, like uh, me, I got uh, two sisters and one brother. And, uh, you know, throughout, uh, until I finish high school, I don't remember playing a lot. I play one time. Uh, actually, a couple of times when I was young. Uh, oh, so there was poker even back then for you. You, yeah, you knew the was, game as a kid. It was the five-card poker, you know? Okay, like draw. And uh, a funny story that uh, I remember until now, and my, the, my dad slapped me so hard, <laughs> is that I was the, on charge on the money for the, you know, for the, uh, not high school, it was the end of the elementary. So I think I... <laughs> you were really young. <laughs> and then I play a... A street poker, you know, with a five card or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost it all. And I had to go home like that and to say that I need to put the money back in the kitty, you know, for it's all the kids' pocket money. And uh, I got slapped, but I put it back. And <laughs> I think that might be the very first lesson of uh, bankroll management. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right I'd there. I'd say so. You on lost, the eighth uh, grade. Oh, eighth grade. You lost <coughs> the whole eighth grade's... Uh, Kitty's money, you know. Were you like, you were like the I would treasure? say it was about probably eighteen dollars <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> what was this street poker you're talking about? Was it like follow the queen or? No, it was like strip deck. Okay. You know, from nine to to ace, you know, and uh, we play and we play the regular, the way that they playing today, the Chinaman, you yeah. know, that flash beautiful house and. Uh, oh yeah, like yeah. short deck. Short deck, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So we call it strip deck. So that was your introduction to the game. To the game. Did then you uh, stay away from cards after that? For I a little stay while? away for it <laughs> until the army. No, not even in the army. I didn't play in the army. I stay away completely, and then. When I finished the army... Well, we can't skip over the army story. Of course, yeah. But the (laughs) next time I was again in Poké World would be right in Alaska. So Mm -hmm. we'll go back to it when I get to the Alaska. Oh, perfect. Okay, so let's tell me about your childhood. What were you getting into besides, you know, losing school money? (laughs) I played with the, you know, Jerusalem basketball uh, neighborhood team, which go to abroad, you know, to Mm -hmm. five countries in uh, Europe. And I was a, a point guard. And uh, Dor Brunson have that in common, right? <laughs> yes, I was I was shooting about twenty to twenty five points a game. You know, it wasn't the elite, you know, team from there, but it was the neighborhood teams. It's some kind of a. And well, I see you're you're decked out in Jordan gear right now. <laughs> That's right. I'm a Jordan man. I mean, it's so comfortable. It doesn't show my fat. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> how's your jump shot these days? <laughs> I mean, it's amazing because I just told Hanks over there when we were talking that I went recently with my kids, you know, to shoot some and to play, and my head is so much faster than what my body can do, so <laughs> 10 minutes later I'm laying on the floor, you know, so tired and so, but I'm still going to the gym and yeah. trying, but not as good as I used to. Uh, you never had any prop bets, like uh, basketball prop bets back in the day? No, no, I actually went for a couple of them when when Hawksey have the prop bets and couple of the guys but i didn't i got it we'll we'll get to prop bets for sure a little bit later (laughs) uh okay so how did how did the decision come to join the army well it's not a decision it's not like here in u.s we are in israel it's a mandatory when you're 18 you have to join the army so we finished the 12th grades and uh, that's uh, one of the things in my book that i finish in the school that uh, the school is basically 
mechanic score. So now, when I got to the army, I wanted to be in one like the Green Beret, and they they told me over there, uh, sorry, I mean, six months before I even, when I was 17 and a half, I put some sandbags on my, head, on my back, and I run around Jerusalem, 10 miles, five miles, two miles, you know, really trying to get in shape. You were prepping up. Prepping up big time. And, and then you thought I, your education would get you a better spot. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when I got there, they said, sorry, you guys, because you've been in this and this school, we're sending you to the Air Force. Nothing against the Air Force, but I really wanted to be in those other groups. So I uh, make a, a scene or two. And you I made wanna, a sin or two? <laughs> I don't want to get, but I was sent to jail. Yes. And the the army jail, you know, for three weeks. Was your sin refusing to go to the air force? Correct. Okay. Correct. That doesn't seem like actually too much of they sent me to the air force. Yeah. But right there, I was supposed to do certain things, and I didn't. I didn't go to some of the lessons and yeah. some of the classes that they were supposed to have. And you, uh, you rebelled against the man. And then I've been, uh, you know, they took me to the head of the base, and he told me you're gonna have to. And I said no, I want to go back. So send me three weeks to jail, and then. Right there, I remember my mom coming to jail and we wrote a letter from one of the attorney that if they won't let me be, you know, uh, <clears throat> do get to this group and I'm not doing it to try to be a driver or whatever, yeah, yeah. I will uh, do something for myself. Like, you know, I really threatened them. Wow. And a week later, I, somebody, instead of finish like uh, six weeks in jail, after three weeks, they came and they let me out, and they sent me to this uh, particular group. And uh, so you got your way. I got my way, and then yeah. I got, I got, uh, I was an officer in this. It's well, like how, the green how was beret. jail? How I mean, three? Did you almost crack and say, okay, okay, I'll no, do it? No, no, it's uh, jail is not like uh, the regular jail that I. I never been. Yeah, in it regular wasn't jail, prison, but, you know. What I yeah, mean? but in <laughs> army jail is kind of it's funny. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's easy. It's not as bad. <laughs> <laughs> you just got yeah. some quiet time. You didn't have to run as yeah, much. Yeah, and then I did. I did those. Uh, when I got there, I was in amazing shape, and I passed. You're supposed yeah. to, I think there are about probably 1,000 soldiers coming. Yeah. And they accepting only like 40 of us. And I passed it easy. This was the, the, the defense force? Correct. It's like the, it's called Golani Brigade. Okay. So it's like the Green Beret over here, you know. And uh, passing that was one of my goal and I did and uh, what I kind of test did you have to do to get through that like, oh my god it's you, physical the, and mental I'm very sure. very physical one like uh, some of it you have to literally walk for uh, 24 hours you know what <laughs> 24 hours walk 120 kilometer which is a uh, I would say about um, 80 miles or so oh my god. and then you did you have to do 60 kilometer which is about 35 40 with the um, uh, you know somebody on top of a uh, oh know. carrying like a body dead weight yeah like the, with four of you have to do that and then you get really bloody over here oh and, man and then some of the stuff you have to go into the sea and come back and you're dirty and then the army had cars right i mean it just seems like yeah <laughs> they were very focused on your endurance you know one of the things now they don't allow it anymore but one of the things we did over there it's called a week starvation week oh my god and we you and your uh, you know partner for the whole week they give you a small box with food and you have to oh, survive you have to ration it and 
small story short, I, we finished it after the first day. And for six <laughs> days, we just ate something for flowers and from the, you know, stuff. That you made it last a day? <laughs> what the Whose fault was it? Yours or yours? The other guy was, a, a, I would say, 300 pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was only like 200. He was 300 So pounds. you ate it all defensively. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's why I said to people, you know, to... You know, people ask me, how do you get these balls in poker? And I said, I said to really get to be a good poker player, yeah. you have to go four years <laughs> in the Army, two, four years in Alaska, and then... <laughs> yeah, you do that, you're fearless at the tables, right? That's what else? I mean. Can, I mean, how could you even be afraid to pull a big bluff when uh, you've been through that? All right, so you end up being a badass in the Israeli uh, military. Um and worked your rank up, like right. You went all the way up I to become a lieutenant. A yeah, lieutenant. you have to sign another year. So I did, and then I become a lieutenant. Yeah. So what were your responsibilities? Obviously, there was the war, and that the... was exactly during the war in 1982. It's mm -hmm. called the Lebanon War. It's not easy. Yeah. It's, uh, when I I had like 25 soldiers under me, and uh, some of them died like eight of them died during the war and the war and i got wounded a couple of times and uh, what happened to you i i got one day we we were taking care about the tank division mm -hmm. and they asked my group to take care about the tank division above the mountain of the beirut airport and um, it five o'clock i give you know the soldier the last uh, before we go and take you know the last um, instruction what to do that night and all of a sudden we get artillery falling of us so I uh, I asked uh, the my second guy as soon as he started because mm -hmm. we started he said run because his, his uh, tank you know was closer yeah. so I said I'm run to yours you go ahead and get to mine and need to give the order so I got to mine immediately I put my my radio on and I said okay we need and they as I put it in I heard my name on the radio you know my code name that I'm in fire you know blowing up as it turned up the moment he got there he got a direct hit and him the, and the four soldier that so if I would on your run, vehicle on my vehicle my, oh my god yeah Thank you. So that was the first time I blew. You know, I got out yeah. of the tank. I ran and I tried to save him, and I couldn't save him. Yeah. So that's the first save. The second one was a week later, right there in the Beirut airport. We got shots like so many shots from one of the tall building. So I ran with my soldier. You know, with the whatever left of the six of the sixteen of them into the building, running. I said, "Let's go." Come in, you know, and take your guns up. Then I feel somebody throwing a huge rock into my body, and I fall down in the back, and I touch, and I see it's okay. And they come and say, "Are you okay, officer? Are you?" I say, "I'm okay. Let's go." And they do it again, and then again, I feel like, "Pow!" Yeah. Falling in the back, I'm okay. We got, we got to the guy. You know, I got it like a, it's called loud, till loud, like the RPG boom. I got to this terrorist, and the building was clear, and you know, yeah, yeah. kill those guys. And then it was, that was about 3 a.m. So 4 a.m. I telling my guys, you know, a couple of them got shot and are killed on this one too. Let's go and we need to get the big commander come and the helicopter come and pick him up. Then all of a sudden one of the soldiers said, wow, look at it. And then they look, I have a, you know, I was so, 
I have three grenades. You get all the adrenaline. The bullet, the bullet go through, uh, through the clips and the grenade. And I find the, the bullet with holes in my shirt. And the other side, I have a knife, you know, like diving knife. And he hit it and he broke the knife. Both of those bullets, I still got them. And I still, still got the, the clips and everything. That's... So those were the, the, what you felt going in to the building. That's what I thought. The, the, the first you know, one the rock was, that hit me, yeah. the first one hit the clips and the, and the second one hit the... Oh, how lucky are you that it didn't hit the grenade? And, they, and then when I play with somebody and he beat me with the <laughs> aces against five, they said, you're unlucky. I said, don't worry, I'm very lucky. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you can't say one time anymore. That, that's it. Oh, right. Brutal. But obviously, you know, going through something like that, that's got to have an effect on you. You know what I mean? Uh, was that part of the reason why you moved to Alaska? Well, I'll be honest with you. I moved to Alaska because the four years ended and I was going to resign. But then... You wanted to go back. Even yeah. Going no, through I, all that. So uh, that's when this happened. Two weeks later, we have another big things in the... Like all the, you know, the... My Golani Brigade and other, we have a big uh, getting together for another uh, big operation. Mm-hmm. And during this... Last operation, I basically uh, broke my leg and, you know, taking one couple of wounded people and uh, I was in a cast for like two, three months. So during those three months was exactly when I was supposed to be discharged. So I told my big, you know, commander officer, I'm going to go to Alaska. Yeah. I'll be doing this three months over there and then I'm coming back and I'll keep going. uh, So he said... They gave me the, that's how I got my visa actually to America at the beginning, you know? Mm-hmm. And of course I went to Alaska. So you were going as like time off? Yes, time off and come back to the army again. What, made, exactly you, what made you pick Alaska for some time off? Because one of the officers in, in, in our group said mm-hmm. that he made $8,000 a month on the, oh. on the ship, on those, those big boats fishing. Mm-hmm. And it gave me the address and everything, and that's where I so go. So you didn't really want time off. You wanted to make some money. Exactly. Time <laughs> off to make money. Because in the Israeli army, as an officer, I made only $500 really? a month. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Even at your rank, huh? Even at the rank. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's really nothing compared to what, you know. So in America, you volunteer, basically, and getting a lot more money. In, mm-hmm. America, in Israel, it's, you know, mandatory. So that's how I got to Alaska. I actually go there. What did you have and a job I made a lot, And I made a lot. The job was, the, you didn't have to. They looking for people and I, my leg was kind of better. So I started cannery. I was working in the cannery. Yeah. I, well, I was about to say, is this like deadliest catch kind of thing or where you're out there crabbing? So, yeah. So salmon, salmon. Yes. Yeah, salmon was on the salmon. Deadly, okay. in the salmon boats, getting huge salmon, salmons and salmon on the cannery. And then I walked there and then I made a lot. I made like the first month about... I would say twenty some thousand dollars, twenty four thousand dollars for what? me. For me, it was so no in three months. I'm saying three yeah. months. So and then the season is over. What you do? I That's don't know. That's good money today. So I said, you know what? <laughs> I'll travel now because my leg still wasn't good enough. Yeah. I went for a year and a half all over the Far East, every country from Thailand to Burma to Japan to this. I went and then, what do I go back to Israel? Broke? No, I better go. And then that's, that's where I knew I came back to Alaska again. I spent a couple more years, and that's where I knew that I'm not going to... I decided I probably want to leave. And, yeah. You know, I'm a patriot, Israeli patriot, but I love the idea that I can uh, get rich, you know, and uh, 
and start in my life in America, and uh, that's how everything began. Yeah, you chased the opportunity. Yes, sir. But what were you doing? I mean, you said you worked in a cannery, so I mean, were you just like weighing catches and stuff? The second did you time, get on the, boats? the second time when we no, the first time we went to the boat and cannery, and on the boat you make money as much fish as you bring, you get percentages. Yeah, yeah. One, and it's freezing, and you have to get the net, and yeah. But it's nothing compared to the army. You know, I guess so. Were, I mean, everything was so easy. So. <laughs> But they were like, who's this badass with the bum leg who's like yeah. ripping huge nets over the side? <laughs> oh, I was in amazing shape. It just, mm. everything was, I mean, 18 hours straight to the cannery was nothing, you know. With the, I get paid overtime and yeah. everything. And then they, the second time I did some more stuff, then I start like a small, with my, my brother-in-law arrived to, um, to, to Alaska with me and then he said, he was a businessman, so right away he said, let's buy this one, it's like 7-Eleven. We bought it and then we develop ourselves and we make a little bigger money. Mm -hmm. And then- It sounds like you were a hustler to, from the beginning, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was. Four years in Alaska, we, in, during the four years, the last two years, actually when we start, we will start driving taxis there and then we open the 7-Eleven. And then we see the local people playing poker. So that's where yeah. really pick up on pocket. That's where I didn't even know what Stad, Stad Edobeder, uh, <laughs> Omaha. And then there was a couple of those guys that teaching, teach us those things. And I fell in love right yeah. there. Yeah. We were used you, to play uh, for many hours, the whole weekend. You know, start Friday, finishing Sunday night. When you were the the salmon guy, the taxi guy, the convenience store guy, were you, were you also the fish in the game? or? Were you winning back then? I was winning right away. You okay. believe it or not, because they were very bad. You know, yeah. they, we play with them, and then I realized, wow, you know, sometimes in poker you have to know that you got it. Mm -hmm. So when you know that, okay, I think I can bluff him, and he throw he throw a middle pair away and stuff like that. Yeah. And right there, I start picking it that up. That came very naturally to you. The fish thing came when I arrived to Vegas. <laughs> then I was one of those fishes. <laughs> But you you felt like you had a natural sense of you could size people up, see where they were at, and absolutely, yeah, use right, that to your advantage. right there, you know. That's before the math and everything mm -hmm. else, you know. That uh, you have to count into the game. You have to count in your hands and stuff. Right there, you know. That's where I start playing poker with some business people in Alaska. But what was it like running a taxi? Driving a taxi, actually, again, you know, you're making so much money. Per day, that we used to make like two fifty, three hundred dollars a day. That's yeah. big money. But again, I walks. I took them to when they go to work at six in the morning, and I return them from the bar at midnight. You know, <laughs> so I was there working all day. Yeah, but you were grinding. Yeah, but I was grinding big time. But I wanted to, you know, I I realized you have to be successful only when you work hard. You Did know? you or had you already met your wife at by this point or no? I'm, try, I'm trying to find the source of your motivation. <laughs> I <laughs> met her when the, in Vegas, yeah, when I got to Vegas. So you moved to Vegas in 1988? 87. 87, yes. right? And your goal is not to be a professional poker player, right? No, you, you no. You had other came, businesses. Actually, my my brother-in-law, Pini, is my partner. He, he, called me, he said, okay, Alaska, with all the respect, you know, we in this Alaska, we have six-month light and six-month dark, you know. Yeah. It's really... And it's like, if it's not the end of the world, you can see it from there. You know? so, <laughs> That's right. I didn't even ask you, how did you like living in Alaska? I mean, for a lot of people, it's a depressing it's below. Place. You you spit and it's like coin falling on the floor. <laughs> That's how freezing it. It's not even Anchorage, you know? Yeah. It's 30 miles above the Arctic Circle. It's a place called Katsibu. Okay. So By this the way, isn't even a big town. No, it's a 3,000 people. 
I love this town. I love yeah. it. First of all, it's like 85, 90% Inupak, they call not Eskimo. Yeah. Inupak, it's, you know, the natives. And the other 10% is the white and one Jewish one, Israeli. <laughs> one ex-lieutenant <laughs> who's, so, who's hauling 600-pound nets. <laughs> yeah. So I got there, and that's where the first time my eyes was opened, you know. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I go on the ship in the boat with them, and they're hunting, uh, you know, belugas. So I hunt <laughs> belugas, you know, whales, and then we go and got hunted bears, and then and, and, and uh, you know, caribous and moose, and I love the lives. You right have a good away. bear story or a good whale story? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the lives right away. That's over crazy. There. It was amazing. Alaska was wow. So you, the weather didn't bother you. The darkness didn't no, bother you. No, because you know you're putting a jacket all the time, and yeah. you're always in a taxi or you're always inside the house, and it's freezing outside. But uh, there's no reason to spend outside. You know, yeah. it's like in <laughs> Vegas. We're in so much hot, but we in air condition all the time. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we've mastered nature. Master- <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you moved to Vegas, and uh, was this when you got the uh, the the one hour photo booth? Yeah. So that's exactly <laughs> my partner said i'm done yeah i'm with all the respect we have a lot of young listeners who don't understand what you're talking about right now processing film and yeah so no so what he did he said alaska he have his two girls you know agar and neta and my sister penina Mm -hmm. they're all in alaska with him so he said it's too i thought america is different i'm going back to israel but i'm gonna go and go to disneyland first las vegas and then he left you know got everything left we said goodbye and then he said to me he called me from las vegas said listen there's some 30 minutes for the uh, not 30 it was 60 minutes for the booth to sell why don't you come and check it out i said where are you he said las vegas he didn't (laughs) he didn't say he was inside the harris hotel wow it was holiday inn back then so that's all what he have to say i cut the first plane alaska airline from you've never been i never been to vegas before no Got the first plane to Vegas. I got here. We got in immediately into all the money that we save in this 7-Eleven. We bought this this guy. He have this lab plus another photo, 60 minutes photo. Mm-hmm. And my partner, Penny, have very good hands. So immediately, the moment we bought them, we invest money and we bought the, the newer machine. I changed the name from Films Developing 60 Minutes to Films Developing 30 Minutes. Mm-hmm. I think I was one of the first in the country. Yeah. The whole US to do 30 minutes developing because the machine did it in 18 and we were busy like those are the days that the Mirage opened we were so busy and people uh, pay extra to save that 30 minutes exactly so that's <laughs> the developing that's what our, did you know about film nothing nothing he is the one my partner was the one I did yeah. he's a businessman basically so if you put him any place uh, he's the one that sell uh, ice to the Eskimo what you call you know he's a good businessman <laughs> Yeah, so uh, uh, now you're in Vegas, and obviously the cards are calling to you, right? So now the photo lab, the films developed in 30 minutes and 60 minutes, was right in front of the Stardust Hotel. And uh, it's where the Silver City Casino used to be. So every day by lunch, you know, we're going to eat there, and then we eat there. Then I go by the poker room, and I go by, and I see. So the moment we finish work, I used to go straight over there, and I used to <laughs> sit down, and... I used to lose. They kind of lick their lips when they see me coming. <laughs> they play Raz, and then only later I heard there was some deals with the dealers. There was some cheating in the old Stardust days, and and I remember uh, 
people playing partners, that partners kind of stuff. Partners and everything. So at the beginning, I came in, he said, he saw it to me, I go back to Alaska, I sold all what we have, I came back and start working. And within six months, I, I would say I'll go like at least uh, every other day to play poker. Yeah, you were hooked. And every time I Even need, though you were losing. Yes. And every time I need, because I loved it. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. I realized I find something that I love. And that's exactly... Well, how big were you playing? Were you just dipping your toes in a little bit? Yes, or? yeah. I would say 5, 10, 10, 20, then 20, 40. Probably the most was 20, 40 that we play over there. But it's still, you need a few thousand dollars. You know, it's not easy. Yeah. Do you remember who the <coughs> who the people were back then you were playing against? This was, what is he, like early 90s kind I of thing? I think that few of them, they used to come with a jogging suit, you know, to sit <laughs> down. <laughs> I think I still remember some faces, but... Uh, not nothing in nobody particular. who survived to today no. and that's exactly the time i met my wife and she, her father used to come Hila? yes Hila. Hila. her father managed for meshulam riklis the riviera hotel meshulam riklis is one of the israeli millionaire and he brought him over here and then i met her uh, in one of the israeli parties the israeli holiday called purim and uh, uh, from here to here i you know we got together and uh, Five kids later, and uh, well, was, she, was she attracted to the gambler or the or the film process? I I did when I, I remember the first time she never walked to casino. The first time I told her that's I'm playing and I'm the, you know doing business. She didn't take it seriously the playing. Yeah. But then I kind of grew up together with her. I mean, I was in the 2040 days. Yeah. And then when we met and I um, asked her to marry me and everything, that was in 1989. In 90, uh, as I said, we have five kids and four grandkids. And right there, you know, and I would say when uh, the Bellagio opened, I jump immediately. Actually, no. Stardust, then the Mirage opened, and then I play a lot in the Mirage, I remember. The highest game was 75-150, and then at some point we play with Jay Botchman, David Gray, and all those people. You know, Howard Lederer is sister, and we play 500,000. That was the biggest it got. The biggest it got. Yeah, we played there like because the Mirage was like the first big, you know, where the where the high roller started. Correct. Started. That's where we started, and the Mirage always been good to me. I won my WPT at the Mirage. That's right. Which is a. But I remember that one day they came to us and said, when the Bellagio was open, they said, "Guys, sorry, you cannot stay the me play over here. You, the high limit is over." We said, "No, I want to stay here." No, Bobby Baldwin said. All the high limit game moving to Bellagio. Basically, we had no choice. Really, yeah. I didn't know that's how that oh, happened. Oh, that's exactly how that. Happened. I just assumed the Bellagio opened up because they were both owned by the MGM. Bobby right? Baldwin rule, and he said we're going over there, and that's wow. it. Wow, Bobby's yeah. just like putting his foot down. Yeah, and and he he bought it the biggest game over there. Did he name the room after himself? <laughs> no, I think that actually <laughs> Doug Dalton named the room after him. But uh, I mean, Bobby's. Couldn't be any anybody better for poker than Bobby Baldwin. Yeah, he's an all famer. He won the World Series and he loved poker. So every hotel that he built, you know, and he's built all of them. He always have the poker around. Right. It. They knew he is one of those guys like Jack Binion, you know, that took it from his father that knew how to take care about us. That's your mem- I don't know if you you're too young for that, but the horseshoe days, you know, to give us the buffet ticket all the time. And if you remember, even the Bellagio when we used to play in a, in a room upstairs, mm-hmm. you know, the beautiful room, the Fontana they, Lounge, the Fontana Lounge, they yep. always come and give us 
you know, Jack used to give us the buffet ticket and everything. Yeah. They take care about the players. So that's all because Bobby Baldwin, yeah. Yeah, because I think people don't realize poker players were treated like second-class gamblers in the late 90s because you don't make money off poker players. You make money off of slot players and pit For, players. Forget people, but that's a little bit out of subject. Even my family. I mean, at the beginning, up to the moneymaker era or up to the day that I won the WPT, I remember even none of the family liked it. My mom liked Because you're a gambler, basically, you know? And especially when you're a gambler that's losing at the beginning, nobody liked it, you know? Yeah, of course. So that's also part of it. But go back to the Mirage. So he told us, Okay, guys, you're leaving. You're going to the <laughs> Bellagio. And amazing. The Bellagio, the moment I started, immediately it was one in 2015 and three. And then a couple of years later, we played two, four, three and six, four and eight thousand. But were Not, you like a known high stakes player at this time? Or yes, you I had mean, already graduated to that level? I kind of graduated to this level and I start winning. Mm -hmm. Start winning and paying the IRS a lot of money for <laughs> making it. And then... All of a sudden, I, I find something that I realize it's bigger than my business. And by the way, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that people are making. I would suggest anybody that's listening to, the, to your podcast over here that's saying, don't ever give up a day job. You <laughs> know, because during the time that we're playing the high-stakes poker, and I'm sure you're going to get into it, I remember so many people, they interviewed me to NBC, and I said to them, there's hundreds of thousands of players want to be like Tom Duan, like Joe, but there's only few of them that can be like him. Mm -hmm. He was genius, you know? And we're losing the McDonald's uh, employees, you know, because everybody <laughs> thinks that we don't want to work for $5 an hour. Yeah. We can, be, we can do it like Tom Duan and win 100000 or 500000 or whatever. And uh, no, keep your job. If yeah. you're an attorney, be an attorney. But... It's very important because... Because poker's there at night, if you need it. It's there at night, and me and you knows, and uh, everybody that listened to it, there's a lot of poker players that went broke. We call it Poker Hospital. I've been there many times. Mm -hmm. I lost everything that I have, and lucky enough, I have enough in my business that I can put myself on my feet, you know? Yeah. But a lot of those high-limit poker players, and people knows who I'm talking about, had to start from beginning, and it's very rough, you know? Yeah. Poker is not as easy as much as I love it. I just love poker, you know? That being said, like, to get to your level, to get to Bobby's room, to play in the Ivy Room, you know, against the world's best, uh, you kind of have to go all in in poker, right? I mean, it's... Because it's kind of hard to keep your day job, I would assume, and get to to be elite after that. Absolutely, you're right. Uh, not only it's that, like an actor even on then, you know? even <laughs> then, when I start playing higher, I made several more mistakes in my life uh, with my bankroll management, and I went broke, and I borrowed money, and I went broke again. What, what, were, the, what were the mistakes? Just playing too big, playing way above my uh, against my, the wrong people, and against the best player, but. It's funny because people don't believe it until today, and I wrote it on my book, playing with Chip and Doyle. Mm -hmm. We used to play three-handed for a couple of years. <laughs> I made most of my money playing those short-handed because Doyle, really? even, Doyle even said short-handed, it's probably my style, you know? And uh, Barry Grinston wrote it even in his stuff that he wrote, what is Eli quality. I... By the way, Doyle called me Eli. It's L-A-L-E-S-R-A. It's correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. But because Doyle, I even call myself Eli sometimes. <laughs> but during those... I hope I said Eli at the beginning. You I think did, you I did. <laughs> <laughs> but during those days, I make so good. And then when the game fill up and then we play higher, 
you know, yeah. he hunt me. I didn't think long enough. I hope today I'm doing better. But look, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm not playing in Bobby's room those days. Those days, the game are 25-5 and 2-4 and, and even 5-10. and 10, I see Phil and Gaz and those guys playing. Yeah. I even I would have it. I'm enjoying myself so much on my limit now, on the 8160 and playing one and two hundred and mm-hmm. playing two and four hundred. The way you see me now in area, I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. It's not a life-changing uh, numbers. Back then it was life-changing numbers. People used to come from Israel and said every day you lose a win two three hundred thousand. You're selling and buying houses. Yeah, and I think it's period of my life uh, that gave me a lot of love to poker. I guess introduce me to the world with the high stakes poker with anybody you know with anything else I would never ever imagine that uh, you know Matt Damon will walk to Bobby's room and uh, shock, shake uh, my hand and Doyle's hand before you know it's yeah. uh, unbelievable you know <laughs> stuff that it's out of this world that everybody loves poker and everybody see you on TV well before we uh, we got into this we're in the Poker Ghost studio thank you uh, to Marius Kandani for opening it up for us letting us record in here you were telling me a great Maury story about and and giving him thanks for making you famous a little bit right? yes it's funny we were playing in the Bellagio and then Maury walked in and said uh, he, he knew every one of us Cheap, Doyle, me, Gus, Phil, Ivy uh, who else was there? Barry Greenstone. And then he said, guys, I want this game. I want to film this game. So Chip turned around and said, what do you mean? He said, I'm going to pay you guys. I'll pay you about $1,200, $1,300 an hour, but I want to film. I want you. So Doyle uh, turned around and said, we're allowed to do whatever we want. He said, whatever you want, yeah. you come to the... So three months later, we find ourselves playing in, in the Game Show Network. And I, the fir- first season, I think it was in Golden Nugget. Yes, it and and um, we brought with us the props, you know the props if you remember. So mm-hmm. I remember we, the prop was much bigger than the game. And really? Yeah, it was so much bigger. So all of a sudden, this you know, this was you like betting on whether the flop is red or black or correct. It yeah. was a little more complicated whether the flop have your your numbers or the suits that you have. And uh, every time we used to say, oh, I see it, I see it. And then we pick up the paper and we start writing it down. <laughs> so in the second year, Mori came and said, guys, let's drop this one. I know I told you I left the yeah. game the same way, but the mom and papa do- doesn't understand what the heck is going yeah, on. Yeah, they with have that. no idea. So we did drop it and we... <laughs> and Can you imagine if you've never seen poker before and you just see the the best players in the world screaming about spades on the flop. And they're right. like, what are they doing? So he was correct, though. So we stopped it. Never mind that later on, you remember, if you remember Phil Ivey, I was there in the game that him and uh, Zygmunt was flipping for $50,000 every mm-hmm. black or red or whatever. Yeah, you can't stop it forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, we, we did start it, you know, mm-hmm. and then I think the couple first couple of years, Golden Nugget, then we did uh, some of the, um, which is the other hotel we did? We did the Palm Casino and we did the South Point Casino and mm-hmm. then we did the, and then now Aria took all over. It yeah, the now everything's goal. here at the Aria. Yeah, everything is here. And then, of course, we have the Poker, uh, poker After Dark that uh, Full Tilt was one of the biggest, uh, you mm-hmm. know, supporter for it. And uh, I mean, it's, I just enjoy myself. And five out of six seasons that I play, because the seventh season they didn't let me play because I was belonged to Full Tilt mm-hmm. Poker Star. I won five out of six seasons for playing just regular ABC, you know. Back then, it wasn't the GTO, you know, game theory optional. <laughs> you, you didn't, you come and you play regular poker, you know, and uh, 
I mean, well, you said before that you you, you excelled at shorthanded. I guess maybe because of your aggression. I believe it's because of my aggression. But yeah. you, your leak was full ring, and maybe that's because you get bored? What do you think? No, I kind of try to adjust myself those days, and even that. But you're right, full, I get bored. Maybe I play more of the 6-7 suited, you <laughs> yeah. know. But uh, I can tell you that uh, even during those times that we play the ice stakes, uh, it was fun. Until today when I see people, mm-hmm. they talk to me, said, listen, Seeing those days, I mean, nothing against WPT or whatever, but that you have, everybody said you have the regular queens against Ace King and you have this. And Once in a while you'll have somebody that come and be like Daniel Nagrano that plays so many hands and all that and then win those tournaments, if you remember. But most of the time, you, when you play those high stacks with those guys, mm-hmm. you have the character over there. You have the, the hands with Daniel and Gus Hens on the quad. You have the David Benjamin. You have the, you know, for all those, even even the, the world champ that came and tried to talk to Doyle about folding hand. What is his name? Uh, Jamie, Jamie, Gold. Jamie Gold and stuff. So we Actually, had Maury said that was his famous, that was his favorite moment on, <laughs> on the show was Jamie Gold trying to talk Sammy, I think, into, so, into on, on the kings and they said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of those moments, I mean, I remember that, like, and, and just being invited to every one of those shows, we mm-hmm. basically was small compared to what we play in Bobby's room back then. You yeah. Know? So you come and you try to splash some, you know, and everybody tried. And I mean, I'm sure that what Maury and um, Eric Katz doing now, it's beautiful. They bringing it back and uh, you can see some good shows lately, and uh, I'm always happy to be invited over here yeah. to the poker go. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm interested in talking about those high stakes games and the props specifically. Were there ever any nights where you won and the props completely erased all your winnings, or vice versa, where the props Absolutely. saved you? I think that uh, easily I won probably, I would say at least five hundred thousand or more, like eight hundred thousand in props. And losing poker way more than that, or the opposite. <laughs> I lost in poker and won in props uh, many times. I was there one day, Phil Ivey, me, Gus, uh, Lyle Berman, and Doyle. And we have something that you own for double and triple, right? So Phil Ivey was on for triple, and um, Doyle wanted to quit. It took Doyle about two hours because he keep hitting his prop. It took two hours and it cost him a million dollars by the time Phil did not hit it. Phil had every chip on the table, you know? Oh my God. And Doyle was cussing. Because he was waiting for it. He wanted to go, he wanted to leave and go home. I mean, there's nobody like Doyle Bronson, man. Doyle is, Doyle is poker. Doyle is everything. He's a, I just love the guy, you know? After Chip died, we got much closer, you know? And, uh, I learned so much, you know, from those guys, from him and Chip, you know, most of the, those days and hours and hundreds of hours I play with them, I see so much qualities, you know, from Chip, you know, he's definitely the best the before Phil Ivey, you know. I well, mean, he, he that brings me to a question I was going to ask you a little bit later is like, and I asked Doyle this on the podcast, uh, who's on who's on your poker Mount Rushmore? I mean, you've seen these guys up and close. You've played with the best in the world and the highest stakes games in the world. Who are your four heads that you put on Mount Rushmore there for poker? I mean, I have to put uh, Doyle. Excluding yourself, obviously. Of course, yeah. I have to put <laughs> Doyle in there. Phil Ivey is the guy that uh, when I play with him in any game, 
Well, actually, the mix, I'm a, a lot more comfortable, but any other, you know, you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's like the stew hunger of the old days, you know? Mm-hmm. Phil is so natural. And then, uh, I mean, nobody can take from Phil Almuth what he did, you know? What Phil Almuth done and what Daniel Nagrano, what Daniel Nagrano doing for poker is just nobody, no better ambassadors. You know, I don't care if Phil behaving so bad, you know, on scene, on WSOP, but 14 bracelet, buddy, it's 14 bracelet. Yeah. By the way, we are very good friends. And what Daniel do, I mean, with poker stars, this is just the most unbelievable. So those four definitely have to be there, you know. I'm surprised you didn't go all old school. I like that. Like, of, No, it's those four. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, like if you play with a guy like uh, even Jason Mercier and, and, and John Monet and, and, and you see some stuff that they do in poker that no other people do in poker, you know, and then, and you can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I can see immediately if somebody got it immediately and somebody don't, you know, and this is... Well, amazing. that leads to my next question. Yes. You know, you're 58, so you still got plenty of time left in the game. Doyle's 85 and he's still... You know, playing. They just announced that he's going to get his own TV show, basically. Yes. Uh, his own cash game <laughs> That's TV what show. That's what told me. Yeah. Um, but who's going to be the next Doyle? Who's going to be playing into their 80s? Who of the who of the young generation today do you see and go, that guy could be the next, you know, whatever? Well, first of all, he's still there together with the BB, Billy Baxter, mm-hmm. that is a legend by himself. And then exactly. you have the Lyle Berman that if he would be less, he love more poker than his business Lyle's lately. Lyle's making moves with WPT. I mean, John Juanda kind of disappeared a little bit, but he was there. I mean, Eric Seidel is one of yeah. the best. I mean, Mike, I wish Mike Saxton will play a little more, you know, but, uh, you know, but together with a lot of new faces, you said that will go all the way. First of all, God, if you hear me, let me play until yeah. 85 or 90, because <laughs> I love poker. I mean, people are laughing, but... Uh, you got another 30 years in you yeah. playing high stakes? You know, when these uh, nice things came with Joey, now Ingram, mm-hmm. that he, he got this 30,000 pass with PokerStar to mm-hmm. this... Uh, young girl and her boyfriend that was crying yeah i tweet right over this tweet and i said finally i find somebody that loves poker as much as i do yeah that's right that was the uh who was that <laughs> jeremy hilserod it was amazing yeah. amazing to see the it, viral you know? video this uh christmas who won a thirty thousand dollar tournament seat exactly Check i, it out I didn't I, i'm not crying in a poker mm-hmm. table but i do cry in movies yeah but in poker <laughs> I but cry. that's how much you love the game like i love the game i just uh, i mean I, I tell a lot of time a lot of other people some people like golf some people like uh, traveling some people i just i think poker really create me you know yeah really all right well I, i'm ready to go with some some uh, rapid fire questions if okay you sir First of all, you have three WSOP bracelets. I believe I was there uh, for a, a big one that you won. I, I remember. I was covering it. Um, this was you and Scotty, heads up, right? That's right, yeah. Can you tell me about that bracelet? Amazing. That was the first one. It's the Star Day the Better. And uh, that was only, I think, $2,000 buy-in. I don't remember what was the buy-in. But it's, uh, you know, I really wanted to win bracelet. You know, the WSOP. 3000 yeah, so the WPT was one thing, but I wanted to put something on my belt. So mm-hmm. I uh, remember, I mean, all the v- famous people make the final table, me and then, and then we finally got to heads up and you were there. Scotty, I mean, I had most of the chips, I think. I think I have, I have him two to one or two and a half to one in, in chips. Then all of a sudden he ordered his Michelob and then <laughs> the next things I see, he got two and a half or three to one on my chips. So I 
Call for Michelob too. I, be- I believe both of you had ordered 52 Michelobs between <laughs> the two of you. But this was, you had money on the line. It, I mean, there was only 100 or 200K up top. That's right. But, so, you, but had then, a, you had a prop on the side I here. remember Barry Greenstone came, and Barry was going to lose 250,000 to me. Why? Because you know, right before, we were at Bobby's room, and right before Chip said, uh, what is the, I remember uh, Barry coming, Barry said, anybody want to lay me three and a half to one, I'm going to win bracelet this year. Yeah. And that was a week before. And then I see they making some bet and Phil Ivey make bet and this one. And uh, I said, what would you give me, Barry? So Barry said, I'll give you 10 to one if you win bracelet this year. <laughs> so I took it. No for, respect. I took it for 25. <laughs> there was no respect whatsoever. Because he knew that I like to play a lot of hands. So I took yeah. it for 25,000. And also, if a cash game is good, you'll just skip six tournaments, you know? That's right. <laughs> so 25000 on that to win two fifty, And then I bet Barry, I bet Todd Bronson, I bet Phil, I bet Gus, I bet uh, David Benjamin, I bet, bet so many of them. And each of them, I bet 50 on three and a half to one, on four to one and whatever. It was funny because none of them won and I was the only one who won. I won million dollar on this one. The price That's what was I'm saying, like they said, I know you won two hundred fifty K from Barry. I didn't know about the other yeah. seven hundred fifty grand. Yeah, because I beat uh, every one of them because everybody said he's gonna win it and he didn't win it, so I won. <laughs> Wow, a million dollars and first place was only 198k. And of course, the first bracelet is always ticking, yeah. you know. It was very Well, I always uh, ask people where do they keep their bracelets? Are yours like in a safe or are they on display or they're, they're not even display. I think my wife, I gave it to my wife. We have it at the house someplace, yeah. She she's got all three somewhere? Yes. Just you know, in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's not like the I, I love this commercial of Eric Seidel. When he came, oh yeah, the old he all the na- the He's jingling all his jingling all bracelets. bracelets. <laughs> oh, when he was dealing, that's right. That's, that's right. right. Um, all right, um, let's talk a little bit. I read that you had a one point eight million dollar session once. Is that the biggest session of all yeah. time? That's a, let's start with the bad news first. Okay. The biggest losing in my life was one million three hundred fifty thousand or three hundred and some thousand. That was when I played with the. The game was start to in four thousand, and then we kick it up to three and six thousand, and we play with John Wine. Is the original from Kentucky? Is the 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 governor of Kentucky used to be, and then he's the original Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right, he was the guy Brown, John who, Wayne who Brown, ran yeah. KFC. Exactly. So, and he was the governor of Kentucky. Correct. And I remember playing in this game, and they say, "Oh, good game." I was the good game. I play, I think, about thirty hours. Cheap went home, come back, went home, come back, went home, and everybody celebrate on me. I remember that she didn't want me to drive back because it was 38 hours or whatever, and I came home, and I basically was talking to myself. Why do I need, why do I need stuff like that? I'm, why are you losing those kind of numbers? I mean, you have some, the biggest donkey in the world. This was a limit game. A limit game. Oh, I didn't know. No, it's a limit, limit game and 150 cup on the big bet. On the bet. big bet, okay. So yeah. we play the PLO, no limit hold them, no limit deuce. So that was the biggest losing in my life. But going in sharp to the other Whoa, side. Well, I got to ask one more thing. What makes you stay 30 hours when you're down seven figures? Like, uh, the, the thinking that I'm not the I'm not the one, you know. You're just like I the, gotta stay. The guy is the one. He's gonna you know? give it back. He's gonna yeah. give it back. And I just lost pot after pot and hours and drink more coffee and more coffee and and that's a, another thing of those not good management or not good. Yeah. You, know, you can't think. 
they, 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 there's no oxygen going to your brain there. Yeah. Those days, and that know? erases six, seven, eight great sessions. Easy, easy. Yeah. And then, of course, going to shop to the other side, I did it in eight and a half hours. I won 1.85 million. <laughs> it was me, Johnny Ward, Sammy Faha, Ted Forrest, and uh, I think Ming or somebody. Ming Lai? Yeah, we play 3 6, kick it to 4 8, then 5 8. Sammy Faha was losing. And then he was 250 cap or something, you know, to, you know, to four and eight. And, and, you know, one of those days, it doesn't matter what you play, you hit the flap. That's what I did. Yeah. And then on the, I feel like nobody can touch me. I'm untouchable. <laughs> no poker player can ever play me, you know. And, eh, that's what they say. Was there any Cards particular make hands? You break it. Was there any particular hands there in the session that stick out? Or is it just one of those? No, one of those. You always had set over set or something? Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what's So how about. do you celebrate a $1.8 million session? Oh, my God. You come home and, of course, going to a good dinner and open a good bottle of wine. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you, your high is just scary. No drugs can get you that high. Yeah. <laughs> how do the highs compare to the lows? I would uh, I would tell you it's uh, the low is much worse than the, when you get high because yeah. you can wipe immediately the high but this pain of the you know the pain that I got when I lost that much money was my parents on all their lives my mom was a you know kindergarten teacher and my yeah. dad was a post office employee in Israel never make this kind of money in, that I lost in one day right yes so how do you yeah the guilt i mean just be. just think about stuff like that and uh well i guess i don't know you have to be in a lot to appreciate the high and vice versa you know exactly yeah if you hadn't if you're not if you've never been down low you're not going to care about the highs at all yeah uh okay um we talked about the big uh biggest sessions biggest pot you've ever won or lost you biggest, ever played a- biggest part i won was a six hundred eighty thousand dollars wow. it was me and Gus and Lyle Berman, I have the nine a heart. Okay. And uh, this is it was four way. Yeah, no limit hold them. And it's four way. It was when the cup was 200,000 and it's four way action. And uh, the flap came seven, eight a heart with the king. And uh, Lyle have the nut flush. Ace, ace king a heart. Oh, he's blocking your hearts. So, wow. The nut flush with the, the and gas flap top set, you know, <laughs> a, a bottom set, medium, medium set, eight. Mm-hmm. And they, they, there was a raise and a re-raise before the flap. So each of us put, I think, about 20,000 before the flap. And uh, after the flap, Lyle check, gas bet, I call, Lyle raise, gas smooth call, and I call, and the the six a heart came on the turn. Oh my! So now Lyle lead, and I didn't have to do anything else. No, of course anymore. not. He's got, and it he's got the nut flush. We put everything. We put the six eighty. Was because Gus wasn't scared of hearts. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Gus that's just the, like the Bordeaux pair. Don't so worry. until today, nine ten for me is a nine ten two. That nine yeah. ten heart is the best hand. Yeah. Oh, that must have been so deflating to Lyle to see that. <laughs> to see, to you know, over. between Lyle and Billy and Doyle, they've seen everything. You know what's amazing about Doyle and Lyle too? They remember hands that they play from 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Doyle remind me some hands that I have, that he have quad against my top set, his full house, and stuff that, how can they remember? You know, it's yeah. like the computer never, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, when I interviewed Doyle, I was surprised at how he, relect, he recalled dates and names so easily. Amazing, really after, amazing. You know, yeah. 60 plus <laughs> years in the game. 
Uh, you have a WPT title. What about a, a, a good swap or piece you've ever had of anybody? Has anybody ever come through in a tournament for you? Oh, yes. Uh, Obviously, you have a great swap story against... Scotty. Well, I, I meant uh, uh, the um, uh, Eddie Beal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is the cooperation I made yeah. very good. I was... Half of the time I was part of the cooperation and mm -hmm. I make a few million dollars with them, you exactly. know? Exactly. And I never play because I never thought that I'm a good limit holding players. And I was a captain and one of the mean David uh, Gray was a captain when he didn't want to play the Bellagio because Bellagio is not good for him. So we went to, to the win and then <laughs> in the win, after losing 10 million, we cashed 37 million. <laughs> and I remember I, we came back with it and everybody got his share and it was a wonderful feeling. But other than David Levy, my friend, you know, from Israel that I take small pieces here and there, I realized right away I used to take a lot of pieces. I used to put a lot of people in tournament. It's a lose-lose situation. I mean, it's, you're telling people now, don't come up to you. Yeah. <laughs> leave them exactly. leave alone, it's okay? It's too much headache and... and it's the end of the... I mean, even Phil Ivey, I remember the days that, that uh, David Williams used to run for Phil Ivey and used to have papers, write everything down, and Daniel Nagrano, and mm -hmm. everybody done with the staking. The staking is not a good situation. But I have a good story because we're playing in Bobby's room and Scotty Wayne walking in like that. <laughs> and he said, guys, uh, anybody want to put me? So Into what? The, the horse. Okay. Oh, this is the 50K horse? Yeah. Man. So me, I look at David <laughs> Benjamin, David Benjamin look at me, each of us got 300, 400,000 next to us. I said to David, let's take this. I took a $25,000 and I throw it to Scotty. <laughs> One chip, here's the buy-in. Yes. And oh, uh, man. We, we won a third of it. So we, 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 I remember we, we forgot completely and then the next day, the next day we play, all of a sudden we see Scotty's make the final table. And then six people, five people, four people, three people. So David Benjamin said, leave the chips, go over there. You have to root for him. So when there was 300, I go over there and uh, don't worry, Scotty was waiting and give me, in 25,000 of Rio, he gave me $780,000. Oh, man. So that's my biggest score ever staking someone. And he was having some Michelobes that night too. Oh, a lot of Michelobes. <laughs> and, and actually, the, right there, the, a week later, I put him over here in Bellagio. For also a small tournament, and we won it too. Like he gave me hundred fifty thousand dollars. But Man. those are the only two times that uh, I mean, I have the best story about the Michelob. Scotty is Scotty baby, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody like him. He does something that nobody knows. He knows how to get deep to tournament. He's such a good player. WPT, my WPT at uh, so we start like three hundred and some people. So the Mirage Poker the, Showdown in two thousand four. Correct, and then. Um, of course, Gabe Kaplan make the final table, and me and Lee and Scotty and and Daniel Negrano put Scotty. In oh, really? One. Yeah. So it's a, I put in my book the way I won it. Uh, Todd Bronson just uh, uh, wrote it down when uh, the latest Jim Meehan, Jim Meehan, yeah, the Minneapolis, Minneapolis Jim. Jim died. So Todd Bronson said, wrote on a Twitter, guys, I have a nice story for you. Minneapolis Jim is why Eli Lazar won the, the the WPT, and that's true. I was playing. There was a big game in Bellagio. I didn't know why I came to play the oh, 10,000. Oh, I think 000. I read this. Todd was, like, really tilted by him. Yeah. And no, I was the tilted. Oh, you the were The guy was never <laughs> shut up, and he's always with his cigarette. And, and I couldn't take it. And finally, I play, like, so that connected, and Todd flop a top set, and... And then uh, I bet he raised me, I raised him, he, he, you know, Todd wanted to put me all in, or he put me all in, whatever. And then 
the guy kept talking and I said to Todd, Todd, you're going to win this pot because I can't stand it anymore. And I push all the chips in. Of course, I eat my two out there or whatever. And I end up oh, winning this man. tournament. You're just so tilted. You're just like, get me out of here. And of yes. course, poor and Todd I, takes the brunt of it. And, I, and you know what? Two things about this tournament. I remember in the end of it, I said, see kids. You know, I talked to the, they interview me. <laughs> you said you never see me on TV. So finally, you can see me I on TV. I kids, yeah. yeah. That's when I picked the champagne. But then, remember that... Daniel came mm -hmm. and said to Scotty, Scotty, I'm sorry, man. You cannot drink in the final table. Yeah, and you can't I tell knew, Scotty that. Listen, I knew <laughs> that's the biggest mistake Daniel made. The biggest. <laughs> and he was there because I knew that I have a chance. A day before, Scotty was basically drinking. Every five minutes, he drank Michelob. And we were 14 or 15. Toby Maguire made it. And uh, Tony G made it. And I remember he didn't have no fear. People trying to do something all in, all in, all in. The next things you know, you know, Scotty got all the chips. So he came with like huge lead to the final table and I was third. And then he didn't let him drink and guess what happened? Yeah. He came, he was out fifth because <laughs> I knew that Scotty needed a drink to do something. He, look, Scotty had a drink uh, when he won the main event. Well, I didn't think was that your Madisau put him in or something? Yes, like that? that's when Madisau put him in. Madisau told me that, and uh, that's I when. I wonder he, if Scotty's had all of himself in any of his big scores. I love it. <laughs> I love his line over there. When you call, baby, they, if you want to call, that's what we will ask. Yeah, he had a drink that time, so yeah, Scotty yeah, so needs that's, a drink. That's my WPT stories. Yeah. Uh, who's the best player we've never heard of? You know, a lot of times we pay attention more to tournament players than cash game people. Who would you like to give a little love to? I. Uh, your buddy. Who's my buddy? Your buddy, uh, Randy Roar. Actually, you heard about him. Mm -hmm. But I think he's a very good player that not many people heard about him. He's playing with us in the regular games all the time. And then uh, I would say a uh, couple of people that come once. They don't come a lot, but they're coming. The New Jersey guys. A guy named Long is very good players. I don't know if you mm -hmm. heard about him. And uh, I, I play with several of them. I have to think about it. But... <laughs> yes, they they don't like to play tournaments, so you never heard about them. But they like to play cash only. Yeah, I think people would be surprised if they if they walked into Bobby's room or the Ivy room today and they saw the lineup. There's a lot of high stakes guys. You're just like, who's that? That guy's never been on TV. There's before. few Russian guys that I heard very very good at playing mm -hmm. now over there. Yeah. Uh, what was the worst job you had before poker? You had a lot of jobs. Which one was the worst? I work I work in a pickle company. <laughs> twice it's a pickle company you know like a, a pickle uh, cucumbers yeah and that was so stinky <laughs> <laughs> I, I walked there like uh, eight ten hours a day when i was like what were your pickle duties the seven. canning or <laughs> yeah i was actually brining or <laughs> yeah brining basically yeah I, I i don't i don't eat pickles i shouldn't yeah. know this much about them <laughs> all right pickles are bad okay if not for poker what would you be doing uh, i would uh I start. I start, I fell in love with the game of golf. Now I'm a hundred and five, hundred and ten. People will tell you that I'm lying. I'm probably more than that. But I love golf. I love the going out there for four hours. Don't touch your phone. Have a cigar in your mouth and uh, have a drink, a beer, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I would do, I would probably be a businessman someplace that uh, try to make enough money to be able to travel a lot. You know, because traveling is amazing to see Just the world. Start another business. To huh? meet a lot of people. Yeah. Well, how's your golf game going? 
Still, I know, I know you're not going to tell the truth because you got to set up your, your well, marks for later. Well, I can later. tell you, I no, I'm not setting up nobody. <laughs> I, I'm golfing with all my buddies, which is, uh, you know, um, Carol and her husband, Martin, taking us to Cabo uh, usually. And uh, we, that's my best time in golf. We golf, uh, we're trying to golf every day. And uh, when I'm here in Vegas, I I would say tell you I golf probably 30 times in my life, and I'm just having so much fun. Man, oh, this is a newfound hobby. Yeah, then. yeah, it's a newfound, yeah, completely. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not good, believe me, I'm really bad. I lose a lot of balls. None of us are good. <laughs> we, it's just an obsession. <laughs> uh, your favorite poker destination? Melbourne, Australia. Okay. It's not even close. I mean, I enjoyed it so much. Between that and watching tennis, my kids love tennis. He's playing a lot, you know. And playing, watch, going to every day to play the tennis, coming in, playing po poker over there at the Crown, and then w go after that to New Zealand and go watch. And, uh, I mean, the people in Australia is amazing. I love those people. Was that your favorite trip you ever took? I mean, you yes. must have seen every part of the world at I this went point. to all the places in Europe, and I went to there, but that's my favorite trip I ever took. I, it was supposed to be three weeks. It ended up six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Doubled it, huh? Yeah, and I'm going to go again soon. I want to go take my kids to see the Australian Open over there. So I'll go Is there anything still left on your bucket list that you haven't done? And the book basically was the last one. And uh, well, I meant as far as destinations. <laughs> oh, destination! <laughs> I'm sure you've done everything, seen everything. Yeah, I mean, I've been. I mean, if somebody offered me tomorrow to go to a certain place, I'll definitely travel because I like to see new, meet new people, and see new places. All right. Uh, are there any poker rules that should be altered or eliminated? No, but the. I'm a big fan of the big blind ante. Mm -hmm. This is unbelievable answer. now. And um, I, uh, I love the idea that they let us use our own phone. And of course, I'm against big time. And I'm an old school. I'm big time against uh, the sunglasses and the hoodie. So if anybody can change those rules, and Matt Savage is definitely one of those guys can, they can. That's I right. There was a tournament this summer that, they, that he ran, I think, at Aria. Was it was a no sunglasses, no hoodie tournament, or maybe yes, I love it. Commerce. Listen, I think that Matt Savage going in the right direction. I can tell you that me as ambassador, and I call myself, you know, this poker is a sport, and if you see me, I'm like, Gus is one of the best on this one. If some fan come want picture and signature, he always give it to them in this. Eh, Doyle sometime when he win, he'll do it. When he loses, <laughs> like the grouchy and Phil Ivy, you know, he's running away. But a lot of people... <laughs> Phil, Phil won't even talk to the media. Yeah, a lot of people like uh, Mike, Mike Saxton and stuff, they're all very good. Phil Almuth and mm. Daniel. My God, Daniel is the best. Yeah, Daniel always up in the middle of a picture and <laughs> sign and do whatever. We need to do it. We need to do it because amateurs and people that love to play poker and businessmen that will come and bring more money to mm -hmm. our economy, we need to be good to the people. And sunglasses and hoodie and tanking for two minutes before doing or five minutes... Those are the cancer to our sport. And I assume that is more important for you at the higher stakes because of the fact that you play with people who want to have a good experience. It's not just about who wins and loses. It's about enjoying yourself. Absolutely. That's correct. why the lineups have to be full of people who are fun. Yeah, you know, Doyle, many times, you know, he would tell you, I don't want to name name, but he would, t I can have at least 10 people in my mind. He said, if it would be my poker room, those people would never stop uh, legs in, their, in the poker room mm -hmm. because they kill the game, they slow the game, and they are bad for the environment. Yeah. 
You gotta give action to get action. Exactly. Headphones on at the table? You said no sunglasses or hoodies. What about headphones? Headphones, the people, sometimes in pocket, no limit, you have to have that sometimes because mm-hmm. you either have the audio on and listen to a book <laughs> or because you need to wait. You have to be patient. You can't just uh, sit down like that. So headphone, but definitely at least one ear out. That way you don't have to hear this guy say all in and then you say all in behind him. <laughs> it's happened to me a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> what do you listen to at the table? So what do you like? Mostly Israeli music, mm-hmm. yeah, like old old school Israeli give me, music. Give me a give me a band name that I could Google. <laughs> it's uh, it's called Kaveret. Kaveret. Or Chava Alberstein. She's a really really good one. That uh, old school. That I love her songs and stuff. All right, yeah. I'll just replay this podcast and Shazam <laughs> Shazam what you just said <laughs> to find it. Uh, we end the podcast the same way every time. I need to get you back to your game. I know, okay. uh, but we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question Got generator. You. Um, so let's click and load. Sorry, the internet's not great here. It's okay. Um, I'm not going to ask you that one because that's for women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what story does your family always tell about you? So maybe your kids. Do the kids have a funny story about dad that they always well, tell? Yes, they always or tell your them. Wife? They always tell them the way I'm a. You know, when I like when I'm eating, I like to eat. So when I go to a new places, <laughs> what, <does that> mean? <laughs> when, what I'm saying when I go to new places or new restaurants, mm-hmm. especially when we go to if it's to Israel or we go to any place in Europe, whatever. So they usually saying when they bring us the menu and I never eat uh, certain food. I always tell them, give me all that and that, and turn the menu and give me all that and that. So yeah. basically, the table filled with about 30 the plates, left side of the and menu you test and, the and right. everything. So that's what they said. That's, I do it with my heart. You so know, the, your eyes are that. bigger than your stomach. That's right. But then we, we like it. That's I mean, an amazing way to eat a meal, by the way. I mean, how many times have you done this where you ordered the many menu? Many times. Many, many. Do you least, just have 30, 40 times. Do you have FOMO, uh, fear of missing out? Like you, just, you don't want to miss that one dish on the menu. Exactly. That's amazing. If you see Andrew Zimmerman and you go to those places in the Travel Channel and you never miss anything, you must so. love tapas. <laughs> yes, lots of little plates. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh man, that's that's crazy. I think I've done that once. So with it was with a poker player, and he only ordered half the menu, and it was still. Uh, eight times the amount of food we could eat. So. I went with Phil Ivy to uh, when we won the twenty-seven million. Uh, he, he, invi- he took us to Yellowtail, and not, I ne- not a long trip. I never <laughs> see something like we were about eight or nine players. He must have ordered five hundred sashimi pieces and sushi pieces, and then the biggest tequila uh, 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 sake bottles and. We were so wasted, but we have so much food weight. I mean, Phil Ivey is just something else. We went with him to Bahamas, and uh, we took a private jet, and I never see something like that in my life. You have a stack of hundreds, and every time somebody opened the door, this and this, give <laughs> he just gives a $100 bill as a he tip. He's the biggest tipper after cheaperies that I've seen tip before. I mean, there's that viral photo of him getting a massage at the series. I don't know if you've seen it. And he's just got like eight or $9,000 in hundreds sitting on the floor. No one, just unaccompanied, <laughs> yeah, no, no rubber it. band even, not in a wallet, <laughs> on the floor. No one's looking, yeah. at, no, no one's touching it, but yeah, uh... He's definitely got some stories. Uh, what, well, what's the biggest? Do uh, you ever play um, credit card roulette for a big meal? Yeah, yeah, for probably a couple of thousand dollars. I went with the, I think me and Frank Casella won it, but it was only like two thousand dollars. Not too much. Not too much. And then in uh, one of those poker 
poker night in America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, then, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully you do more damage than that today. I'm going to let you get back to the Ivy Room. Hopefully you crush it Thank and uh, continue uh, to do it. And also, good luck to your book. Thank you. For those of you listening, get out to Amazon and check out the book. What's the name of the book? It's called Pulling the Trigger mm-hmm. by Elia Lezra. Mm-hmm. And the reason is Mike Saxton. The very last hand, I had like two and a half million. Lee pushed it all in with one and a half million. And I have ace queen of suit and Mike Saxton in the background. Would Elia Lezra pull the trigger? Would he call him? Would <laughs> I end up calling it four five. Yeah. So that <laughs> pull the trigger worked out for you. Yeah. So pulling the trigger, it's about my life story. If you guys want to learn more about poker, don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> no strategy in it whatsoever. That's right. I like it. I like it. Thank you, Elia. So Thank much. you, Julio, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's the show. Thank you once again to Ellie. You can see what he's up to on Twitter at Elliealezra1. That's the number one. Again, be sure to get his book. It's out there on Amazon right now. Pulling the Trigger, the autobiography of poker pro Ellie Elezra. I also want to thank Maury Escandani for providing the recording venue and uh, Randy Ohel for convincing Ellie to do the podcast in the first place. If this was your first episode of the podcast, welcome. Uh, please go ahead and subscribe. Poker Stories is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and basically everywhere podcasts can be played. If you do us the favor of leaving a rating and a review, let us know about it with an email to pokerstories at cardplayer.com, and we can hook you up with a free digital subscription to Card Player Magazine. That's right, just give us those five stars, say a few nice words, and boom! free poker content uh speaking of free poker content thank you for tuning in to this podcast <laughs>